Unbelievable. God is so faithful, isn't he? And how did you love the decorations when you came in this morning? Were they not? Um, I don't know. She's probably not in here yet, but Veronica is the mastermind. Veronica Dorsey is the mastermind behind all of the decorations. She did an awesome job uh, out in the, the new building and in here as well. She had many helpers. Uh, I can't remember them all. Karina Kamen, Becky Blair, uh, Kim Boyle, uh, Josh, Ben, myself, Suzanne, all of us, we were helping out. So just when you see Veronica say, hey, you did all right. <laughs> awesome. Give thanks in the Psalms. I have to say that, um, yeah, this has been a, a powerful series for me. I, um, I think that I've got, gotten way more out of it than any of you have gotten out of it. And as I've studied, it's just been so powerful to go through the Psalms. Um, and really, truly, um, last week was kind of like a, a wake-up call for us. We really felt that, like we were under attack from the enemy. Right. You know, and the, well, we were out here. I was on the worship team last week. I was playing guitar, and we were practicing. And all of a sudden, Zeke comes running in crying. He goes running out again, and we're like, what was that all about? And then Joel comes running in and says, Cameron, come quick, you know, and Silas had fallen. He was bleeding all over the place. He had a big gash on his head. And um, then we um, went to go you know, get him taken care of. And then that night, I, I was taking a nap, and we got a phone call that George Bame had fallen and broke his nose. And he was, you know, maybe, you know, they had to check for, for blood, blood on the brain and all of that. And we were all, all worried about George. It's so good to see George here. And then the next day, we get the phone call about Aiden. And I was just saying, Lord, what is going on? That, you know, first, you know, most of us just thought he got hit with a basketball, not realizing that it was way worse than that. And he lost a ton of blood. And then, then he was getting life lighted. And it went from he got hit with a basketball, which was, of course, wrong, to, you know, he... Um, I don't know if he was elbowed or if he was hit with somebody's head, but he was hit and it was major broken nose on, on his nose and he still has to have surgery. Am I correct with that? Yeah, and, um, but it went from you know, him being life-fighted and us not knowing if he was even going to make it to the peace that Hope described to us that was there. That came from our crying out to God and, uh, and, our, and our looking to the Lord in prayer. You know, and sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Because then the next day, I, the very next day, I heard that my neighbor lost their three-month-old baby. And when I would, just reminded me of Acts chapter 12. You know, in Acts chapter 12, when, when we think of it, if you know what it is, most of us think of Acts chapter 12 as Peter being delivered from prison. And he was, and it was a miraculous deliverance. And we forget what happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, because at the beginning of Acts chapter 12, it tells us how Herod put James, the brother of John, in prison and then had him killed with the sword. So James didn't make it, but Peter did. And both of them did it by faith. And sometimes things turn out and sometimes they don't. 
But no matter what, God is faithful and he loves you and he's working on your behalf. We live in a fallen world where evil happens every day, every day. But God is on the throne. And when Jesus comes back, our exile will be over. You know, until then, he's calling us to be faithful. Until then, he's calling us to live for him, to commit ourselves to him, to make him the God we worship, no matter what. You know, when he called us to follow him, he didn't say, come follow me and you will be living on a mountain for the rest of your life. No, he said, take up your cross and follow me. See, the cross is an instrument of death. He's saying, come and die with me. And I say, I'm coming. I'm coming, Lord. I'm going to say like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Because I'm going to say, Lord, I, I'm willing to die for my faith in you. Who was it that said, you haven't found, you haven't learned how to live until you've found something worth dying for? And to me, that something is Jesus. And he, it's the only something. He's the only one. Well, I'd die for my family too. If I had to. And you, I'll die for you. How's that sound? So if you need someone to protect you, just call me and I'll, I'll be coming. No. God is so good. I better get into this message because the time is already leaving me and I have so much to say today and um, I'm just praying for God's grace to help me to say it. Psalm 100 is our psalm for our Give Thanks series and it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. These are all imperatives, things that we're called to do. First, we're called to make a joyful noise. Then we're called to serve the Lord. Then we're called to come into his presence. Then we're called to know. Know the Lord. Know rather that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Are you thankful today? Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And then today we're going to look at Psalm 138. This is a very special psalm to me. Because this is something that God spoke specifically and directly to me. Back in 1981, as I was a baby Christian, learning to know the Lord. And I might get into that at the end if I have time. I'm going to have time. I want to read it, and then we're going to pray. Psalm 138. I give thanks, I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, Joel read that verse this morning, right? 
from Corinthians. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple. We don't do that anymore. We bow down to the name of Jesus. We're going to look at that later on. I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. O Lord, for thy... For, rather, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. But the haughty, he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, Aiden, the Lord just spoke this to me. I was just going over my message when I heard from you, and I was reading these two verses, and they just said, this is for Aiden. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Let's pray. Father, We do ask for your grace this morning to speak your truth and to hear your truth and to know you. I want to know you. So Lord, do what only you can do right now as you are God. Make yourself known. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we have this first three verses that talk about individual thanksgiving. Everything is I. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. That's with everything within you. Giving thanks to God before the gods. In other words, David was, this is a psalm of David. That's the inscription that's at the beginning of Psalm 138. It says, of David. That's all it says. But David was someone who the Lord used to bring many victories to Israel. And so he fought all the nations all around. He fought the Philistines. He fought the Moabites. He fought the Ammonites. He fought the Syrians. He fought them all. And all of them brought their gods and when he defeated them, before their gods, he sang the praise of the one true God. Amen. Every other so-called God will be defeated, but there's one that will never be defeated, and his name is Jesus. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to intercede for you and for me. So before the gods, I sing your praise. Whatever God you, you were serving, as Pastor Joel shared this morning, if there's something that maybe takes up more of your time, start singing the praise of God over it because that God is nothing and he has something for you. I bow down. That's not something we regularly do, right? You know, is bowing down. 
You know, it's not a posture that we do a lot in America. We don't want to bow down to anybody. We don't have a king, right? But there is one you're going to bow down to. And his name is Jesus. I want to do it willingly now so that I don't have to be forced to do it later on against my will. But I, with my will, I say I am going to bow down. I bow down towards your holy temple. I bow down to your, to your name, Jesus. And I give thanks to your name. What? For your steadfast love. We, we sang about that this morning. What? His reckless love. There's nothing he won't do in his pursuit of you. There's nowhere he won't go in his pursuit of you. He will go to the ends of the earth pursuing you, right? His steadfast love and his faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name, and that name is Jesus, and your word. And Jesus is also the word, isn't he? For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have beheld his glory, glory of the only one of the Father, full of grace and truth. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is the word. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. His name is Jesus. And then I like verse 3. Again, this is the individual Thanksgiving. He's speaking with that word I. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. On the day I called, there's something about calling on the Lord. In Genesis 4.26, it says, To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enoch, Enosh rather. And at that time, what people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That word call in the Hebrew, right here in Psalm 138 and throughout most of the Old Testament, is the word kara, Brown Driver Briggs, uh, Hebrew and Greek, uh, Hebrew lexicon, an English lexicon rather, describes it this way, defines it this way, to call, to proclaim, to read. That is, read aloud. It says it, it, says it this way in, 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 in the Brown Driver, it says, read, read aloud, read, read aloud. It says it twice. Right and right, I wonder why that was. I think it's trying to really emphasize to us that when you call on the Lord, it's not silent. Read, read aloud, read, read aloud, recite, call, cry, utter a loud sound. So when we read about calling on the Lord, you know, sometimes we, we liken that to like prayer. And it is a form of prayer, but oftentimes, many times when I am praying, I'm not praying out loud. Sometimes I do, sometimes I'm not. But when you're calling on the Lord, it's always going to be out loud. Some translations will say, I cried unto the Lord. And many times when you see that in, 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 your, in your Bible, I cried unto the Lord. It's the same word, kara. And it's talking about something that we're doing that's not silent. I cried unto the Lord. So, so on the day I called, on the day I cried out, on the day I loudly called out to God. You know, and that's what I really love even about, you know, worship this morning. You know, and, and, and I love about how... Uh, the, the music is, 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 something, is it too loud for some of you? Not for me. I love, the, I love how loud it is. I can cry out with my voice in the worship. And maybe you can't hear me, but God is hearing me. And I'm crying out to him. And he hears my voice. He says, I cried on the day I called. I love this. In, you know, in Daniel chapter 10, it talks about how Daniel was, was seeking the Lord about. He wanted to understand a vision he had been given. 
And so he cried out, he called out to the Lord and, and he was wondering, you know, why he wasn't receiving any answers. And it says for 21 days, he didn't receive any answers for 21 days. But then the angel comes to him. You see, there's war going on in the heavenlies. Do you understand this, brothers and sisters? There's war going on in the heavenlies and the angel comes to him and he says, on the day that you cried out to God, that you called from the first day that you called, I, you, your, your voice was heard and I was sent, but... The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. So you see, and that's talking about the, the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realms. So here was this angel that God had sent out, but he was resisted by demonic powers, by the angels that followed Satan. Because in Revelation chapter 12, when we read this last week, Satan was cast down to, F, to, to the earth and he took his angels with him. And these are the angels that are now ruling over so many like regions and areas. And these are the ones we're doing battle with because we're not doing battle against flesh and blood, right? So this, this angel was resisting, or this devil rather, was resisting and fighting against this angel to hear. So you know what? Sometimes you think, I call it to God, but God isn't hearing me. No, God is hearing you. And he's moving on your behalf. From the first day that you set your heart to understand, he said to Daniel, I was sent. And this says, on the day, on the day I called, you answered me. On the day I cried out with a loud voice, you answered me. You know, prayer may be silent, but when you call out to God, it's audible. It's going to be heard. Let your cry to God be heard. Let him hear your voice. And then what does it say? He says, that in my strength of soul, you increased. And this really speaks to us so clearly about the difference between an Old Testament saint and a New Testament saint. You see, we have an advantage being born in this time. Because in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. In the New Testament time, now that Christ has died, this is why Jesus says to, to his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away. They didn't want him to go. I wouldn't want him to go. But it says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Unless I go away, the Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, not only will he be with you, but he will be in you. And so here we have this advantage, right? We have this advantage over the Old Testament saints because the Spirit of God would come upon them at times, but it did not dwell inside of them. The Spirit of God dwells inside of them. And so for an Old Testament saint, he really needed his soul to be strengthened because what is the soul? When you think about the body, you know, there's, we're, we're tripart beings. You know, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5... Verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three parts to who we are, just like there's three persons in one God. There's the, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And the body is really ruled by the five senses. And the soul is, is three parts as well. With the soul, we have emotions. We, we are able to feel things. And, and then there's also the, the intellect, the mind. We are able to understand things and know things. That's, these are the, the, the soul is what really separates us from animals. And then there's also the will. We have the ability to make choices. 
This is the soulish part of man. And then there's the spirit. And the spirit is the part of man that communes with God. And when, ever since the fall of man, it's the spirit in man that died. When the Lord said to Adam and Eve, on the day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. They were physically alive. Their body was still there. Their soul was still there. They still could think. They still could feel. They still could make decisions. But their spirit died, that communion with God. And that's why they hid. That when they hid from God, it signified that they were no longer in communion with God. The spirit died. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. See, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again because the only part of man that can really communicate with God is the spirit of man. Let me try to explain that to you. There's only one part of us that can really communicate with God. Jesus said this, God is spirit. This is in John chapter 4. God is spirit. And he who worships me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So let's say that with our flesh, we're trying to understand things that only our will, our soul can understand. All right? So our flesh is the five senses. Did you enjoy the singing this morning and the worship? Wow. The anointing. Just the, just the sound of it was just so beautiful, right? All right, so let's say you come in here and you, we, we, we do, for some of you, if it's too loud, we do have earplugs back there, by the way. You can get those earplugs and you can put them in your ears. And then you can, you know, if, if that's too much, then you can cover your ears as well. So, so you put in those earplugs and you're covering up your ears now as tight as you can. And you're saying, I want to hear the music with my eyes. No, you're using the wrong sense there. Your eyes can't hear the music. All right, so let's look at another example. Oh, look at the beautiful decorations. You know what I love? I love the red. Red's my, can you tell red's my favorite color? Do I wear red a lot? I do. So I love the red presence next to the Christmas tree. It's such a beautiful contrast. And just it sticks out. So, and I just love the color schemes. But let's just say, okay, I'm going to try to hear that color. I can't, I can't hear the color. I can't see that sound. No, because you're using the wrong sense. If you are trying to know God with your flesh and your soul, it will never work. Because it's your spirit and only your spirit that can know God. So again, flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. And so we have to be, you know, what does it say in Corinthians? Do I have it here? Somewhere. It's in my Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I didn't have this written down for the guy. Sorry about that, but I'll read it to you. It says in verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. It's... You can't understand God with your flesh and your soul. 
only with your spirit. So in your walking out in everyday life, you want to be led by the spirit of God. See, so for for the Old Testament saint to be strengthened in soul is basically saying that he's being strengthened to make a right decision in following God. And for you and I, in order to make those right decisions, because the will, making, you know, is it, the emotions, the intellect, and the will are the things that we want to choose to make the right decisions with. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. So we're, we're, we're going, let's say we're going to go make a purchase and we see something and in our emotions say, oh, I like that. That, that, that is, I really like that. It, it makes me feel good. You, you, you're, you're looking at it and you're, you're going to consider it. And so you're using your intellect and then you, you make a choice. I am going to purchase this thing. And you're going up to the register to, to buy it. And then all of a sudden something inside of you says, no. I don't want you to buy that. That's not your flesh. That's not your soul. That's your spirit telling you something. We've got to train ourselves to hear the spirit of God. You know, in the book of Acts, that happened. In Acts chapter 16, it says this, And they went through the regions of the Apostle Paul, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they're considering going to Asia, right? And they're saying, wow, you know, I'm excited about going to Asia. I've always wanted to be there. Your, your emotions are used. I've considered it, see, you know, to get to Asia, we've got to do this, 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 and that. So, okay, let's prepare. You know, we've considered, okay, now we're making a choice. Yes, I am going, I'm going to go to Asia. Then all of a sudden, you're ready to go, and the Spirit says, no. Don't go to Asia. Okay? And, they had, and when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Okay, all right, Asia is not... Let, let's, hey, Bithynia is a great place. It's the same thing. The, the emotions, the intellect, the will. I'm choosing. I'm going to go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. See, this is, this is learning to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us and to lead us. Because so many times our soul and our flesh say, this is a good thing, and we just go ahead and do it without allowing. And, and the Spirit might be saying to you, no, 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 but we're not listening to the Spirit, and so we just do what our soul and our flesh are telling us to do, and that's not going to please God. See, you know, in Romans 8, it talks about that. It says, where, oh, I'm in the wrong way, going this way. I, again, it's not a verse, that I, it's just coming to my mind right now, but it's so powerfully put in Romans chapter 8 where it says uh, in verse 6, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. You see, your flesh is going to tell you, please yourself. You know, what, it's the emotions that you have, the soul, the, the, the things that feel good, whatever. Your flesh is going to tell you, do that, do that, do that. For the mindset in the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we've got to train ourselves to not... See, because all of our lives, before we got saved, from 1960 to 1979, my whole life, I was just fleshly. I was being led by the flesh. I was being led by my, by, by my soul. And what, the soulish part of me and whatever I, whatever I wanted to do, I would do, right? Because I live in a free country. But in 1979, I, I got saved and then this, the spirit started to take control. And then there, there was this war between, between my soul and my flesh and my spirit. 
And slowly but surely, the spirit began to win over. But your flesh and your soul are not going to give up without a fight. And there's also an enemy who's up here, who's whispering in your ear, telling you to do what your flesh and what your soul is saying for you to do. Oh, yeah. And that voice isn't going to just say goodbye. That's why you must train yourself to hear the Spirit of God. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word. And this is why he's, he's magnified everything. His Word and His name above everything else is magnified. Because we have to get into the Word of God. Wow. God is good, isn't He? I want to be led by the Spirit of God. I want to hear His voice. I want to know Him. So the first part, that's that individual thanksgiving. There's a lot there, and someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that down even more for us. The next part is communal thanksgiving, and it's, it's a, really, it's a wonder. It says, all the kings of the earth shall give you thanks. Really? Has that ever happened? No, it's never happened. But it is going to happen. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. Amen. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. I really don't have time to break this down. I had several verses in here that I wanted to go to, but... When it says that the kings, I'll go to him. When it says that the kings of the earth would give thanks to the Lord and sing of his ways, it's, it reminds me of Isaiah 45. In Isaiah 45, verse 23, it says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. And Paul takes this up. And in Ephesians, or rather in Philippians chapter 2, he writes this, And being found, this is Jesus, and being found in human form. The word became flesh. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every... And it, in heaven and on earth, rather, and every, and under the earth, finish the verse, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, this is going to happen. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Let's, let's see if, if I went to some of the kings of the earth today and said, will you bow the knee to Jesus? That was, a, that was a great laugh, whoever that was. <laughs> Will you bow the knee to Jesus? Will you confess him as your Lord? What would my answer be? Oh, Lord, have mercy, is what I'm saying. That's why it says, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. He regards the one who, who will do that now. But the proud or the haughty, he knows from afar. Think of Pharaoh. 
He refused to bow. I think of when Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, sent the Rabshakeh to Israel. They refused to bow. Think of the Pharisees who lived when Jesus walked on the earth. Think of the Pharisees' prayer in Luke chapter 18. They refused to bow. There's one king whose pride was incredible. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he looked out over Babylon. He said, look at this, the great Babylon that I have made. Oh, praise my name. <laughs> he made the big statue for everyone to bow down to and worship. But God humbled him. And he became like a wild animal for seven years. And this is what his final thing he said. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. This is what's going to happen one day. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? He, he was a changed man, Nebuchadnezzar. And he was blessed to have a man named Daniel in his, in his service. And I think it was Daniel and Daniel's prayer that really saved Nebuchadnezzar so that he actually did see and know who God is and declared it in Daniel chapter 4. I want to declare his praises. So then we get to the end of Psalm 138. The last two verses. And these are verses that God used so mightily in my life. Though I walk in the midst of trouble... You preserve my life. As a young man, I really didn't have a father. He was in an accident when I was four years old, and he was never normal again. He died when I was 16. He divorced my mom when him, my mom and him divorced when I was 12, and we'd go to his house, and the refrigerator was nothing but vodka and beer and the garbage can was nothing but empty vodka and beer there was no food in the house my mom got remarried to a alcoholic <laughs> who didn't like me kicked me out of the house when I was 18 and I was just spiraling down doing drugs and not living for the Lord Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. I gave my heart to Christ in 1979. And I knew that I had to do uh, something drastic, so I, I, I joined a missions organization called Youth of the Mission. And um, it turned my life around, making that commitment. 
You know, sometimes if you're struggling with something, you've got to do something drastic to bring about a change. And at that point in my life, I said, no matter what I have to do, I'm going to do it because I want to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. So I went to the discipleship training school at Youth of the Mission, and um, I, I went through three months of intense discipleship with excellent teachers and really began to read my Bible and really began to get to know Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And we had two months of outreach, and we, we did some outreach in uh, New York City, and we did some outreach in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and then we did some outreach in Kitchener and Ontario, Canada. Uh, and then I, I had to come home for six weeks in between schools. And this was my first time being, you know, back at home, I didn't have any Christian fellowship because I... When I got saved in 79, I really never went to church. I didn't have a church. I didn't have any, any, any group that I called my Christian friends back there. So all I had was my brothers and my old friends who I always got high with. And so about, I, I lasted about two weeks. And then I started to get high again. And I was devastated. And the devil just began to attack me and tell me that I'm no good, that I'm worthless, you know, before it was different, before you, when you were doing this, you know, you didn't know the Lord, but now you know him and look what you're doing. And he just began to attack me. And I thought, I'm going to hell. I thought that I couldn't be forgiven. And the devil was just so heavily laying a burden upon me. And I was, I was literally in the midst of trouble in my mind, in my heart. And I just heard in my spirit. See, spirit is what speaks to us. Yeah. So in the midst of all those lies, my spirit said, go get your Bible. So I ran, got my Bible. And I just opened it and started reading. That's, that's not how you get counsel from God, but this day it worked. Because I started reading. And I was reading in Jeremiah chapter 1, and then when I got to verse 4, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. As I'm beginning to read these words, my heart is beginning to beat wildly. That one song we sing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations, and I said, oh, oh Lord God. See, at the time I was, what, 20 years old? I was a kid. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. What if, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you, preserve, you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. That's Psalm 138, verse 7. So the, the wrath of the enemy was attacking me, but he, is, he told me that... 
Do not be afraid of them, the ones that are attacking you right now, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his, out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And so God, God's call in my life prevailed. I knew at that moment that I was safe, but I still thought that they would never want to take me back from the second class. <clears throat> so I called youth with a mission. I confessed everything to them. And to my utter amazement, they said, we want you back now even more. And then I told them this. I said, well, I have no money. It doesn't matter. We want you back. So I, I went back. It's what, what happened when I went home was I had, I had signed a lease in, in my apartment in Carroll Stream, Illinois, before I left for Youth with a Mission. And I left when the lease wasn't up yet, and I left some of my friends living there. And they did a little bit of damage to the apartment. So when I came back, I was getting sued. So I made some phone calls with the lawyer and I set up a payment plan and so I worked that whole summer those six weeks at Gary Wheaton Bank just to to make some payments so that was why I had no money to go back to youth with a mission because I, I I had to pay off this apartment complex I also had a loan for my Marshall stack amplifiers I was paying $180 a month for that and so I went back there, and um, my Aunt Carol just helped me to pay that off. But I owed my whole bill, and slowly but surely some money came in. I was down to about $987, and they were pressuring me to get a loan. And so in October, we had a meeting, and they said, you know, call some friends. And, 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 uh, and as I was seeking the Lord, the Lord led me to Psalm 138. And this is what Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. And so I, I read it in the New American Standard Bible. It says, the Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not forsake the work of thy hands. And so the Lord was saying to me, this is my work. I'm going to do it. You trust me. This is how God teaches us to trust him. And so as they are pressuring me to get this loan, this is the word, the Lord told me, no, I'm going to take care of you. Do not get a loan. So one day a student came up to me and gave me a check for $300. It was in Suzanne's class. And so I was down to $545 that I owed in 71 cents, I believe. And then it was the last day. We're leaving for Mexico the next day, and I owe $545. They continued to, to, to pressure me, is really what they were doing. You call somebody. Call somebody to get a loan. And I had not called anyone. I refused to call because the Lord said to me, no, I want you to stand. And I struggled with this. I was going back and forth. Lord, what should I do? What should I do? I'm not being, I am not doing my part. He said, 
I told you I'm going to take care of this. I said, okay. So that day at, our, at the lunch, you know, all the groups were there. My, my school, Suzanne's school, we, she was in the DTS, I was in the SOE. And they, they put out a call to everyone. There was one other student, her name was Betsy, who didn't have her money. And they, they said, if any of you can loan the money to, to Mike or to Betsy, that they'll pay you back. <laughs> So I had somebody come to me and say, I'll loan you $200. And another person came to me and said, yeah, I have some friends that can loan you the rest. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. And they're saying, you know, uh, Mike, what are you doing? So at 10 o'clock, I, I went to those two people that said that to me. I said, listen, I, nothing's happened yet. We're leaving at 7 o'clock the next morning. It's 10 o'clock at night. I said, you know, I'll, I'll call, let me talk to you in the morning and see what happens. So now it's 10.30. I'm going into the bathroom to brush my teeth and go to bed. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, was that you or was that me? <laughs> and I got a tap on my shoulder. And there was a group of Mennonites that had come and they were in Suzanne's DTS and this was one of the leaders of the group of Mennonites who had come from Lancaster area with a, another one of the students, one of his young, younger students, who I would have never expected to have. This was back in, you know, 1981. So $545 is a lot today, but it was even more back then. So they take me into the lecture hall and they sit me down and they explain to me that they want to give me the $545.71 and it's not a loan that the Lord spoke to him and he is giving it to you. And I could not believe it. And I was jumping up and down and, and worshiping the Lord and just so thankful for what God was doing. But you see, this isn't the first time God had showed me his power in providing for me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. When I was in my discipleship training school, I didn't have any money then. I paid my bill, but I didn't have any money left over. And when I was in my discipleship training school, we had small groups. Have you, have you been in any of the small groups that, that, that we have? Are they, aren't they awesome? We had small groups, and my small group was going to go off for ice cream that night. And the, the, the ice cream place in Concord, New Hampshire was called Weeks. So we were going to go off for ice cream that night. And I thought, great, you know, I don't have any money. So I went to my small group leader. Her name was Cheryl Mitchell. And I said, Cheryl, I don't have any money. So she said, well, let's pray. Awesome. Let's pray that God will give you a dollar. Okay, so she takes my hand. She says, Lord, Mike wants to go with us to weeks tonight. I just pray that you'd give him a dollar in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I went about my business. Um, we went to lunch right after that. And then after, you know, my, my, my duty, my job at, at the time was to do the dishes. So I was doing the dishes. And 
I, I finished up with the pots. I was the last one in there with the pots. And well, actually, what I'm forgetting to tell you what happened before that. When I went back to my room, there was an envelope under my door. I opened up the envelope and it had a dollar bill in it. And I said, who does she think she is? Praying for me that I'm going to get a dollar and then putting a dollar in an envelope and putting it under my door. I was so mad at her, I wouldn't even look at her at lunchtime. So that now, now I'm doing my, my job duty, doing the dishes afterwards, washing the pots. I'm the last one there. And then comes this guy who's not from the schools. His name is Dave Reitholm. And he comes in and he's a, he's a worker on staff at the base. And so I, I just had to tell someone. So I started telling Dave this story. I said, you won't believe what Cheryl Mitchell did to me. She prayed for me to receive a dollar. Then she takes an envelope, puts, it in, uh, puts a dollar in an envelope, and puts it under my door. Can you believe that? What, I mean, what, she, she's playing God in my life. And Dave goes, she didn't put that envelope under your door. Well, how do you know? I put that envelope under your door. In my devotions this morning, the Lord said to me, give a dollar to Michael Coleman. You see, God can do anything. It doesn't matter if it's $545. How much do we need for this building? 75000 Listen, if you're out there right now and you have a check for $75,000, I'll take it from you as soon as we're done. And if it's not you, the Lord will bring it in. Or it doesn't matter if it's one dollar. God's going to move. But this is what God wants more than anything. He wants us to take a deep dive. So that we can get to know him. And what he wants for you to do is he wants for you to learn not to allow your flesh with its five senses or your soul with its emotions and intellect and will to run your life. He wants you to be led by the Spirit of God. And that's not going to happen with a casual relationship with Jesus Christ. It's only going to happen if you're willing to take a deep dive into his heart. Like in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus says, I will show you what he is like who hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building his house on the rock who dug down deep and laid his foundation on the rock. A surface relationship with Jesus Christ is not going to cut it, brothers and sisters. We need to dig down deep. And then you'll know for certain that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He will always, always take care of you, no matter what. So let's stand to our feet. These altars are open. If while we sing this song, if you want to make a special commitment to God to know Him,